Jack Edwards, voice of the Boston Bruins on Nesson, and this is the Tomahawk Roundup. So what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by Nesson's own, the voice of the Boston Bruins, Jack Edwards. Jack, how are you today? I'm doing great, thanks, and we're getting closer to hockey, it seems. It certainly does seem the first day of training camp is upon us. It's so great to have you with us. So, first off, how are you ex managing the news of the new training camp schedule? Uh, I'm, I'm skeptical, but, uh, you know, we, we take baby steps before we walk, and we walk before we can run, so one step at a time, but... Uh, so far, so good, at yeah. least for the Bruins. Exactly. So before you were the voice of Bruins hockey, you broadcast for the Chicago Fire. How was that experience different than broadcasting hockey? Well, I grew up playing soccer in one of those little pockets uh, that used to occupy hamlets in America. Uh, you know, the, the soccer wasn't uh, really widely played or universally played as it is now uh, back in the late 1960s, early 1970s when I was growing up in uh, the seacoast of New Hampshire, about 50 miles north of Boston. And uh, I, uh, I gravitated towards soccer. It was my ticket to college. And uh, I, uh, I played hockey, of course, because in New Hampshire in the winter, if you don't play outdoor winter sports, you get lonely in a hurry. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, soccer's principles are basically the same as hockey, but it's on a much greater scale, and the game happens more slowly. Uh, but there are a lot of uh, a lot more moving parts. So, uh, good players and great players uh, tend to keep track of maybe twelve or fifteen different. Uh, factors in each play. So uh, being able to play the game at the Division One level, I was able to assimilate uh, hockey principles pretty easily. And going to the University of New Hampshire, I had the good fortune to uh, have the year of, of uh, Charlie Holt, who was a legendary outside-the-box thinker. And uh, Charlie taught me so much about hockey and technique and uh, teams, tactics, and strategies, and uh, <laughs> really about life uh, that I was I was really fortunate to land in the place that I landed. So uh, the transition between soccer and hockey is is quite natural for me, even though the games on their surfaces may seem to be somewhat different. Absolutely, and you know you have that you have that you have that different style with soccer. It's a little slower, but the principles remain the same. Yeah, and, and you know, protect the goal, uh, make the attack predictable, uh, win the ball back or the puck back, make a good outlet pass from your defensive end, and then. Be unpredictable and and be innovative on attack, and those those are the basic world views of each game. But uh, they happen much differently at, at speed and scale. Yeah, so you want you made one of the most 
fiery calls in all of hockey history, in my opinion, in Game 7 of the 2013 Eastern Conference quarterfinals. What was going through your mind during the series-winning goal by Patrice Bergeron, and how did you come up with the iconic point-of-the-dagger call? director and uh, he was an undergrad and then a graduate student at Northwestern University and uh, was a product of their legendary theater department so I was literally born into the theater and drama has always been part of my life (laughs) as long as I can remember literally (laughs) and uh, I, I think that Once, uh, when talking about play-by-play with my dad, I said it's like doing an improvisational theater exercise because you're seeing the drama emerge in real time and writing the script. And uh, random thoughts pop into my head all the time. (laughs) I don't know if that's a product of having gone to college in the 1970s or if it's genetic, but... um, uh, that was that was the image that uh, came to mind uh, as the uh, as the Bruins and Maple Leafs and TD Garden uh, packed house was waiting for overtime. I I said to myself, you know, what what is this situation? Uh, uh, just uh, sort of uh, alike, and uh, I just I just. Settled on that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it, it's honestly, it was like you said, you're born in drama, and you ha- you're writing the script as it unfolds, and I think that's what people really like about you. You have this dramatic flair, this this high energy, and that's that's really what makes that call so iconic. So that's that's an incredible call, and I loved it watching it, and I love hearing it to this day. Appreciate that. And one of the things my dad impressed upon me was uh, don't be afraid to fail. <laughs> and I have failed. <laughs> but, um, you know, that, it, it's part of the job. You, you take chances when you're creative and uh, play to your soul. <laughs> and uh, I've had the, the glorious freedom of, of doing that. And um, a very kind management structure at Nesson, which allows me to uh, to really be myself. Yeah, and being yourself is what gotten you has gotten you to this point in your career. Yeah, you know, um, when I look back over the forty years or so I've been in this business, um, my background as a radio news reporter initially formed the worldview of data collection and vetting stories and making sure that uh, what I was about to go on the air with was true. Uh, Then I shifted over to sports, which was my first love, uh, which was always my pursuit. And uh, then in 1999, I went full-time play-by-play after doing uh, part-time play-by-play gigs for a long time. Um, but the reporting background really helped me formulate my thoughts. And 
understand how to dig for a story. Um, when I went play by play, I ceased to be a journalist, but uh, the journalistic skills still have really helped. For sure, for sure, because you have that core background in the journalism, and while you're not a journalist per se, you still use those journalistic skills on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and um, that's really important because it teaches you how to sort data, and in the information age, there has to be a cutoff point because you literally could be scanning for new factoids up until the referee lets go of the puck at center ice, and uh, it becomes overload. It took me a long time, probably 10 or 12 years in the information age, to put the brakes on it. Because I, uh, again, with that with that news worldview, uh, I was always scanning for new information, and... I realized that it was taking away from my game prep, which was a specific task rather than the general panning for gold nuggets and throwing out 10 tons of sand for every gold nugget that you found. Yeah, and that's and that is what news prep is all about. That's what game prep is, and you find these little nuggets of information and you use them to your advantage. Yeah, well, that's that's the object of the game. That's um, that, that's the way we uh, grew up listening to broadcasters when it was all about newspapers and what you heard from trusted sources and and uh, there was much less information available but they made it entertaining didn't they yes they certainly did so shipping gears a little bit going back about 10 years how would you characterize receiving a stanley cup ring in 2011 from the boston bruins well uh in an unforgettable moment um brian Cicello, our esteemed producer of bruins hockey on nesson who's really one of the greatest producers with whom i've ever worked um he was uh, <clears throat> honchoing the New England region Little League World, Ch- uh, uh, World Series qualifier. And uh, I was calling play-by-play of that. And he sent me an email during our lunch break uh, between games that uh, he got a, uh, an email from Bruins management to go to a jewelry store and get my ring size. And I knew immediately what it meant. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I was not expecting a ring. Uh, I would be lying if I, I said I wasn't hoping for one. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Jeremy Jacobs has gotten beaten up so much. Um, and I, I understand the sentiment, but... Uh, so few of the people who frequently beat him up uh, accuse him wrongfully of being cheap. Believe me, paying the insurance rider on that ring, he's not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> not cheap. You know, I, I never lost a tooth or, or took a stitch for the Boston Bruins, but uh, the Jacobs family's generosity is ju- just so extraordinary uh from my perspective 
I, uh, I, I was thrilled to get it, thrilled to wear it. Uh, every once in a while, I still break it out and, and wear it uh, for uh, ceremonial occasions. And uh, my children are, are clear about uh, how it's going to be shared after I, uh, I'm gone. <laughs> it's yeah. an instant heirloom. Yeah, that is, that is certainly an instant heirloom uh something you can't put a price on that experience of wearing it and receiving it and being selected by the Jacobs family to receive a Stanley Cup ring because like you said those aren't cheap no and and they included everybody literally every employee at Nesson who wanted one was eligible to receive one and I can't think of anyone who didn't take them up on it no, no, you, you, you can't, you can't pass up a Stanley Cup ring. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was an amazing experience, and uh, you know, I, the question always comes up, you know, what, if, what if you got another one, and it, that's irrelevant to me. You know, that that moment is so precious, uh, and and uh, the entire ride in 2011 was so once in a lifetime that uh, if it ever happens again, it will be another unique experience. But that one can't be touched. Yeah, it cannot be touched and will never be touched. So going up to the present now, we talked with Charlie Coyle in a previous segment of the Tomahawk Roundup. What has he brought to the Bruins lineup since his acquisition last season? Well, you know, when he was with Minnesota, the Bruins would play against the wild and we would always come away from those games saying that guy is tough to play against well not only is he tough to play against but at the biggest moments he is tougher to play against he is one of those players who does a really really good versatile job during the regular season but when the meat is on the line he delivers it. I mean, man, that he, he is so hard to play against in the slot, in the combative, combative areas, uh, along the boards. He protects the puck well. Uh, he's super responsible defensively. And uh, he has really emerged as uh, the evolving next core of the Boston Bruins leadership group. Uh, hometown boy, and uh, his actions speak louder than any agent's words uh, because if he went UFA, if he had gone UFA, he could have gotten at least one or one and a half million dollars more per year than he got from the Boston Bruins. But there are more important things than an extra million dollars. You know, should we all be so lucky uh, and fortunate to, to have that circumstance. But uh, Charlie Coyle realizes that unless he's financially irresponsible, he's already set for life. So it's a, a quality of life and a life choice decision that he made. And uh, he elected to stay uh, stone's throw from where he grew up. 
Yeah, and that's and that's what makes Charlie such a great individual. You know, it's not about the money with him; it's about the experience. You know, I think we've all seen that video of him interacting with the fan in Minnesota that has since gone viral, and he just brings, like you said, that element of the next core in Boston. Yeah, um, there's there's something uh, again. I I draw from my uh, my dad's wisdom. Um, there's something about the interaction between the audience and the performer or the audience or the, or the crowd and, and the athlete when uh, the spectators realize that the athlete really, really loves what he's doing and, and enjoys the platform and the position and makes the most of it on and off the ice, on and off the stage. And, and that's that's a magical thing that can't quite be harnessed in language. Uh, you have to experience it, and and we all have. And that's one of the things that draws us into figures in sports. And and Charlie Coyle is all about athletic achievement mixed with character. And uh, the reviews are pretty good so far. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with athletic achievement mixed with pure class. So what, in your opinion, is the biggest challenge for the Bruins to get back to the cup final during this tumultuous return to play protocol? Should we resume play? Focus. And uh, that's uh, one of the strongest uh, attributes of, of this uh, team. Uh, this is going to be a situation that, that nobody imagined. Um, the piped-in sound. Uh, I've heard that uh, the NHL is, is appealing to fans for virtual cheering, that they're going to pipe into the arenas. Um, so much of the energy in a playoff atmosphere is provided by the fan base. And... Uh, the players are going to be responsible for managing the ebbs in their emotions during the game with encouragement from themselves and encouragement from within. And that's going to require immense focus on the moment. Uh, when you look at the Bruins' core, Rask, Chara, Bergeron, Krejci, Marshawn, we could go on a few more, but those guys have been through it. Those guys have failed. They have succeeded. They know the difference between what they have done that they could have done better and what they have done that made them do the right thing at the right time. And, and that focus is going to be all important because players are going to test positive. And, and guys are going to come out of the lineup for at least two weeks at a time. And, you know, if, if you are able to establish a culture that focuses on the moment, um, you're, you're, you know, you're dealing with a, a recipe for success. Uh, I go back to uh, the 2019 season when the Bruins lost Zidane Chara and Patrice Bergeron in consecutive games. They were without 
both of those players for 16 games. They went 9-6-1. and one. That kind of focus is a result of culture. Um, not just coaching, not just athletes, but something that, that is long-term that GM Don Sweeney and Bruce Cassidy and before Cassidy, Claude Julien, built into these players. That is long-term teaching. That is like parenting skills. <laughs> exactly. Know? It's parenting your players to know what to do when there is an adverse situation. Right, right. You know, you, you don't you don't find out who the best teammates are when the champagne is dripping off the ceiling in your dressing room. You find out who the best teammates are when the champagne is dripping off the ceiling of the dressing room right down the hall. And and the Bruins have that. And uh, any chance for success uh, lies in that ability to focus through adversity. Yeah, so before we get out, Jack, is there anything else you want to add for our listeners in Boston, in Chicago, and around the world? Well, you know, I, I cherish the hockey experience, and most of all, I cherish the, um, the wave of sound and vibration that comes from a crowd that is partly out of control emotionally. And you can hear that often in my calls, and sometimes I go over the top, but that's hockey. And I hope, down to my my last beat of my heart, that we get back to that someday. I It's hard to envision right now, but once we get a handle on this virus, once we get vaccines and drug protocols for treatment of, of people who test positive uh, universally available, that day will come back. And I look forward to hockey in any form, but most of all to that. Hockey in any form, by any means necessary. Jack Edwards of Nesson and the Boston Bruins. Jack, thank you so much for the time. Thank you.